to all of our friends out there. This is the Reverend Mary Vano, and I want to welcome you today to J-O-Y, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, where our conversations about life and faith always include Jesus, others, and you. Today, we're talking to Jerusalem Greer. Jerusalem serves with Presiding Bishop Michael Curry as his staff officer for evangelism. She lives here in Arkansas and writes blogs and books and is an all-round interesting person. Jerusalem, thanks so much for joining me for this conversation today. Oh, thanks for having me, Mary. Just a little note, I live on a farm and it Anytime some of the farm creatures join my conversations. So (laughs) it is a very busy life here and they don't understand social distancing, right? Or Zoom Uh calls, podcast recordings, that sort of thing. So thank you to everyone for bearing with us. Well, the rooster ought to already be awake by now, right? (laughs) Everybody's up. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So Jerusalem, let's start by getting to know you. In my opinion, you're one of the bright spots in the Episcopal Church today, but you didn't start here. How did you get here? I started as a Southern Baptist. My dad was a Southern Baptist minister, as was my grandfather and uncles and great uncles and cousins and comes from a long line. But the way I explain it is I followed Holy Spirit breadcrumbs and found my way to the Episcopal Church eventually. My dad was a Baptist minister, but he was pretty creative and open and free thinking in a lot of ways in that he was open to different things. One church in particular that he pastored was in Juneau, Alaska, which is a long way from the South. At that church there, there were some people, I guess, who had been raised maybe Lutheran or Catholic. For some reason, doing like the Advent wreath was a big deal at that church. He was like, okay, that sounds great. They did the Advent wreath, and I was kind of always the kid who liked parties and entertaining. I read my mom's copy of Martha Stewart when I was like (laughs) 10, you know, her first book. And so was kind of just always into both kind of hospitality, party entertaining, and church. Like, I was a total church nerd. Like, I just loved it. And it was my first exposure to the idea that there could be these creative, tactile ways of expressing faith, apart from like the usual Sunday school things, right? And that there could be a way to observe faith at home and to do something that seemed really meaningful and creative kind of all together. I like to say that was like my first little Holy Spirit liturgical breadcrumb, right? And as I grew up, I was always a kid that was questioning, not faith, but why we did things the way we did. Why this way, right? Not this way. And I had opinions and very shocking. (laughs) I was questioning the system. I grew up, I went to college. And when I was right out of college, I was part of another church, which one of my uncles pastored, which was Mm -hmm. a non-denominational church. And it was a church that was specifically kind of created for people who'd been hurt by church. That was kind Mm -hmm. of like the whole purpose of it or the mission. And so what happened is you had a lot of people coming from a lot of different traditions because the thing about Christianity is it's just people. No tradition gets it perfect. And people hurt people. I mean, that's part of human nature, unfortunately. And so people came from all kinds of different traditions. And again, my uncle being kind of very open to whatever, people would say things like, I left this church tradition, but I miss Maundy Thursday, or I miss X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Can we do things like that here in our church? And I was on staff at that church. And so we started doing things like Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. And so I just started researching more and more. And then I had kids. It was really hard to take my kids to a Monday Thursday service where everybody was like really solemn and my kids wanted to run around like wild children. So I was like, well, how can I do this at home? 
So then Mm -hmm. I started researching more and more of like, how can you do liturgical things at home with your kids? And I just made my way. Like I just slowly kept following these breadcrumbs. Like I started doing liturgical things at home and then I started blogging about it and I started reading more people like from the Episcopal tradition in particular and discovered Phyllis Tickle and I went through an emergent phase and like I went through like all the phases and there finally came a point where I actually wrote my first book. I wasn't an Episcopalian yet, but I wrote my first book, which is all about living a liturgical year at home. And I kind of wrote it from the perspective of someone who didn't grow up that way. It tries to explain some of those things in the book. And then I got down with the book and we were currently without church at that particular juncture. And my husband and I just really talked about it and we're like, we need to find a new church home. And so by that point, it was like, we want to go somewhere that follows the lectionary, that has liturgy, that follows the liturgical calendar. By that point, we also had come to a place where we wanted to be somewhere that ordained women. And at that juncture, bless gay marriage because it wasn't legal yet, right? So Central Arkansas, as you well know, yes, <laughs> there's a very limited... That pretty much leads you straight to the Episcopal Church. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That is where we landed. We landed in St. Luke's and North Little Rock because we also wanted to go to a neighborhood church and you could hear the bells from our yard. That's where we ended up at St. Luke's and the rest is kind of history from there. And we were home. Like as soon as we were there, we went in Advent one year and that was it. We were home. And the first time I ever heard the Psalms sung, I just bawled. I mean, I never heard them sung or chanted before, which is hard for people to sometimes believe in our tradition because not everybody does that. No, certainly not. There's so much diversity. Well, I'm sure glad that you found your way to the Episcopal Church. I think we've been blessed by you. You started your journey in the Southern Baptist tradition and found your way into the beauty of liturgy, a tactile kind of faith, and that led you to the Episcopal Church. And now you work for the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. (laughs) I know, it's just crazy. (laughs) You are the staff officer for evangelism. That is such a loaded word, evangelism. Tell us about what that word means and what does your job entail? So when I came to the Episcopal Church, by the time we had made our way here, like a lot of people had been through a lot of different things and deconstructed a lot of different things. And there were two words that I don't love the term trigger words, but (laughs) if I had to use that, what I would say is my two trigger words in Christian speak were discipleship and evangelism, (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) which is just hilarious to me. I ended up on staff at St. Peter's in Conway and I'm working with Terry Daly at the time, Reverend Terry Daly. Terry and I would go out every Tuesday for lunch in our meeting, talking about all the things, church-related things, because I did a lot of formation work across the board at St. Peter's and different things. And she just kept saying, you're an evangelist. You're an evangelist. And I was like, no, I'm not. And we don't use that word. I became an Episcopalian because that's not a thing we even do. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) The thing about evangelism in the Episcopal Church is, first of all, yes, we do do it. It's in our baptismal covenant. If you're struggling with this notion, go get your book of common prayer. It's in there. The most overt part is that we promise to proclaim in word and deed, right? Yes. Word and example. The good news of God in Christ. And then I would argue that there's lots of other things in the baptismal covenant that are also part of evangelism. All evangelism really is, is sharing. Sharing, advocating being a light for, but it's really funny out in like the tech world. Now you'll see people that are called like, I'm an Apple evangelist. I work for Apple. 
even out in the business world, people are using this term and it just means that I believe in this. I believe it's power for good in some way. And I want to share it because I believe in it so much. Unfortunately, the way people have shared Christianity or their beliefs have not been always filled with joy and generosity (laughs) of spirit been a lot of condemnation. And if you don't get on this bus, it's all over for you. They've missed the good news part. Yeah, they've totally missed it. (laughs) It is sharing, but evangelism is sharing good news. It's something good. I have encountered a lot of people who have experienced what they termed evangelism, but it was judgment or condemnation. Ultimatums which is not Episcopal evangelism. We have a little pithy phrase that we have for it now that we call it our working definition, which is that Episcopal evangelism is when we seek, name, and celebrate Jesus's loving presence in our lives and the lives of those around us and invite everyone to more goodness. There's a lot in there. There's listening, listening to where good news is happening in the lives of others or in the world naming it. That's the part we have the hardest part with actually as Episcopalians mm-hmm. is the naming, the saying out loud, that's a God moment, or I see Jesus in that, or I experience the Holy Spirit. And then celebrating it by sharing it with others. That's the sharing part is the celebrating is the being able to say, this is so great. And this is what happened. And asking people, has this happened to you? Or how have you experienced the love of God? Or how do you feel about God? You know, those sorts of things. And then inviting people into more and more can be, it's infinite what more can be. I mean, more can be actual church service or more can be just coffee where you talk about those sorts of things, right? It's exploring, where do we go from here? I love that. You seek, name, celebrate all the good news of God and Jesus Christ and then invite people to keep going because there's more. What is the Episcopal Church doing with evangelism these days? We are doing a lot. Like everybody else, COVID and the pandemic and has caused us to shift some of our initiatives or priorities. I guess not our priorities, but how they're embodied in the world. And just thinking about how can we respond to what people need now in this moment. And as our lives shift and the church changes in some ways, I mean, we'll never go back exactly, you know, that we will return to some practices, but even how we experience those practices are probably going to be a little bit different for us. So how can we best support people in that? What's the good news that people need to hear now versus maybe what the good news How did it sound? It's not that the good news itself changes, but how people need to hear it or experience it maybe changes a little bit. So a couple of different resources that we have and that we've been working on. One thing that's about to come out on April 12th, and then it'll be out in the world. So is what's called Evangelism Matters. This is a conference we do about every other year that's just solely focused around evangelism. People come together to put it on. But this year we decided that people were so zoomed out and it was going to be spring. We knew that when we were going to be dropping, this was going to be spring and that people weren't going to want to be tied to their computer any more than they already had to be. So what we decided to do was an audio conference. Essentially, it's six podcast episodes in English and hopefully three in Spanish. 
And what each podcast episode will be about is a different area of evangelism or a different lens to talk about evangelism. And each episode will have about three different presenters on it, kind of looking at the why, how, and what of the question. So for instance, one of the episodes is called Baptismal Identity and Evangelism, right? Like getting into why this essentially is an Episcopal thing Mm -hmm. that we do. Bishop Dion Johnson from Missouri does the first 15 minutes. And then Dr. Lisa Kimball from BTS Seminary does the next like 12, 15 minutes. And then the last 15, 20 minutes of that episode is actually Chaplain Mary Hartley at Swanee talking to two students who have been going through the catechumenate process to be baptized. So each episode kind of gives you kind of a big picture of why this whatever practice it is, is needed and relevant. And then there's kind of some theory and theology, and then there's some on-the-ground examples of how someone's putting it into practice. So there's six of those episodes that when you register, you get access to. And then we're also going to have a series of coffee hours over six weeks. So each week, three of the panelists will come together for like a live Zoom coffee hour conversation where participants can opt if they want to come to the Zoom coffee hour and talk with the presenters. But that's optional. You don't have to sit in front of your computer to get the information, but if you want to have the engagement, you can do that. Because we're trying to hit like different learning styles, different engagement levels. But then once it's all over, after Pentecost, all of that will also just live on our website infinitely. There's a wonderful digital six-part series called Embracing Evangelism that really tackles some of those big questions like why do we do it and how do we practice? It breaks down the seek name, celebrate portions and different things. Mm -hmm. There's six about 45-minute video sessions, a participant's guide, a facilitator's guide, and it's meant to be used either in person or digitally. We've had lots of people running it over Zoom, doing Mm -hmm. Zoom classes with it, and there's a video that talks about how to use it over a Zoom. It's a great thing that parishes can do, dioceses can do, deaneries can do if they just want to take a group, a small group through this process of looking at it. And what I love about it is that it just allows for people to push back. Like when people are like, I don't know how we're going to get people to do this course on evangelism. And I'm like, well, challenge them. Find all the people who say we don't do evangelism and tell them to come and argue. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like that's the great thing about our tradition is that you can come and push back and say, I'm not sure about this, or I don't like this, or I disagree with this, and you don't get kicked out of the room. You can have really robust discourse about it. Hope that we'll get to do some of that here at St. Margaret's. Wonderful. So you were talking about how the pandemic has caused us to shift a little bit, shift emphases in how we are teaching and encouraging evangelism. I imagined it's changed some of your plans too. <laughs> <laughs> Your personal plans. (laughs) How have you been spending your time during the pandemic? So I went from traveling about 40% of my time to just being here, being at home. We were all home. My college kid came home. My high school kid came home. My husband came home, worked from home. And so it really changed a lot of things. But one of the gifts is that I got to be home daily for life on the farm. I mean, it's been quite a while since I have been so involved in literally the day-to-day chickens and goats and gardens and all of that. It keeps going, even if I'm not here. My husband (laughs) and my kids (laughs) have always like held down that for us, but it's been really neat and really interesting. And it's been a real gift to be able to go outside and work 
especially when we couldn't go anywhere. Kind of before the mask and the distancing and all the protocols were put in place and we were really at home all the time. I was so grateful to be able to go outside and get my hands in the dirt and feel useful and have something to do to take my mind kind of off how everything was changing. The things here stay the same. The chickens are the same. They just kept going on. Life on the farm didn't stop. There's been a lot of gardening. Stability, it sounds like. Yeah. Part of what the farm has provided you in the world of chaos. You could go to the dirt and it would be there. (laughs) The animals and they would have the same needs. They had to be fed every day. I mean, they don't understand social distancing. And it's given me a lot of great metaphors. And it's birthed the project. I mean, Good News Gardens, which is another one of the projects from the Episcopal Church. It's called Mm -hmm. the Good News Garden Movement. A partnership between my department and Creation Care is a direct response to COVID, but it came out of me standing in our garden plot and my husband and I talking about how at the time when we went to order seeds last year, everybody was out or it was backordered because people were buying up so much because no one was sure what the food shortage situation might be due to COVID. And I kind of thought back to Victory Gardens, which was a thing in like World War One and Two, mm-hmm. especially in England, and how it was a way to both provide food and boost morale because people mm-hmm. felt like they could do something mm-hmm. if they planted a garden and help feed at least their families and their neighbors. Anyway, we started what's called the Good News Garden Movement in the Episcopal Church, and it's just people who sign up to grow a little extra and pray a little more and share the good news through their gardens or their chickens or their beehives or anything that's kind of food or agriculturally based. It's a really fun project, and we're in our second year. It was so successful last year, just kind of this idea we had. It's kept going, but it came directly from standing out in the garden. One of those Holy Spirit breadcrumbs, I think. garden teaching you then about evangelism and discipleship those two trigger words yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I've come to love and I love talking about them because I'm like I was with you I didn't like them either so one of the things when I first got this job and that I continue to ask is okay so what is it we're evangelizing when I was a Baptist I knew I was evangelizing for heaven versus hell But as an Episcopalian, our theology is broader and we have a beautiful catechism and I love our catechism. I love our baptismal covenant, but there's a lot of words, right? There's a lot in there. And so I was kind of like, how do we talk about what it is we're actually evangelizing? Also, we realize that people's experiences of God are so personal and unique and contextual. This year, just being in the garden and beginning to think in all agricultural metaphors, Everybody that comes to any of my workshops right now, like bless their hearts, are just going to hear it. It's what it's going to be. You might have to translate for a city or a like yeah. me. <laughs> so bad. We're flipping everything right now. Flip the script is like what everybody's talking about. And so I was like, I'm going to flip the script on talking about evangelism. And I want to talk about the end, which is what's the bounty? What is mm-hmm. it we're evangelizing? I've got all the materials to talk about the other stuff, but what is it? What's the point? What is the thing that we're sharing? I feel like we need to figure that part out. 
And that's really where being in the garden, having seed catalogs, like I was looking at a seed catalog. It got me thinking about, okay, so I discovered that I liked radishes. That's one of the things that's happened over this pandemic is because we grew several different kinds of radishes last year and they're really good. They're way better than the grocery store radishes. Okay. So that's probably why I like them better, (laughs) right? But if I had never put the seed in the ground, grown the radish, tended to the radish, weeded around the radish, made sure the radish had water, sunlight, harvested the radish, washed the radish, prepared the radish or eaten the radish, I would never know that I liked the radish. And I wouldn't know the difference between this radish and that radish, et cetera. So let's say that kind of how a lot of people approach faith is the seed catalog. They know a lot about the seeds. They've read all the information about the seeds. The Mm -hmm. seeds are wonderful. They can identify the plant because they've looked at the pictures of the plants, but they've never embodied. They've never grown a radish. So it's kind of stunted. It's just stunted to head knowledge. And we are an embodied faith. We believe in embodiment, right? Between the Eucharist and all the other things laying on hands and ashes on our forehead and baptism. We are all about some embodiment. So to me, discipleship is that middle part. It's that growing. It's all the things you do to grow the thing. It's the planting the seed, the tending the seed, the weeding around the seed. All of that is to me what the discipleship part is. It's the embodiment of growing the thing. So then my question was, well, what's the thing? When I pick out a seed in a seed catalog, I at least kind of know what I'm getting. So I decided to flip the baptismal covenant and look at it as not just promises we make, but promises that God makes to us to see the baptismal covenant as the bounty, these promises. So then I made a list and I imagine that it was like a farmer's co-op basket or a community supported agriculture, a CSA basket. Let's say you signed up to get the Episcopal CSA basket of a Jesus-centered life. What would come in that basket? What do we believe? We've joined the Episcopal Church. It's how we're going to live out our Jesus-centered life through this lens. What comes in the basket? What is the bounty? And so I just tried to flip it. I was like, well, we get new life, right? We get to turn from selfishness and fear to love and hope through Jesus. We get meaning. Like we believe that life is more than just kind of going through the motions that there's purpose in this life. We get belovedness, that we're loved and wanted just as we are. We get community and fellowship, hopefully, and often around a table. We get the wisdom of scripture. We get a lifelong connection to the divine, like an unbreakable connection to God. We get God's bottomless forgiveness, an invitation to try again. We get good news that we get to share with everyone for all time that's abundant. We get the ability to love our neighbors, even those neighbors. And we get the ability to see the divine in them and everybody. We get the dignity of self for ourselves, but also the ability to honor the dignity of others and to understand all the choices that we make can be ways of embodying honoring that dignity. We get a passion for justice and peace. We get invited into participating in beloved community. And most of all, we get God's help at all times. And so when I did that, it was like, to me, it was revolutionary because I was like, yes, that is what I signed up for. When I became an Episcopalian and decided to follow Jesus through this lens, those are all the things I wanted. That to me is how the good news is embodied for us in this tradition. And that's the bounty that I want to share with people. It's also the bounty I want to grow. So I want to do all the things in my life that will continue to grow wisdom of scripture in my heart and grow my connection to God and grow my love for my neighbors. You've given us a picture of a truly abundant harvest that we have to share. And it's really not just about here's your ticket to heaven. 
when you get a basket, so let's say you get like a farmer's co-op basket and let's say it has rutabaga. I've been using rutabaga as my example because I just like to say the word. And we have a church potluck. Everybody in the church got rutabaga in their basket, but nobody prepared it the same. Everybody brought different rutabaga dish to the potluck. And so to me, that's one of the fun things about thinking about it this way is that my connection to God is going to be different than your connection to God, but we both got it in our basket. And so it still allows for a lot of contextual expression and that unique thing. And like how someone who's new to baking rutabaga is going to make it one way versus someone who's been making rutabaga for 30 years. And what can the person who's been making it for 30 years teach the person who's just new and vice versa? podcast, we talk a lot about joy. I was inspired to start this podcast, which was back in May of last year, just trying to figure out how do I continue to connect with and engage our community? How do I bring light into their lives when they can't come to the church? I've got to find them in their homes without breaking their bubbles. <laughs> their COVID bubbles. <laughs> I had this little inspiration that came from a Sunday school lesson that my father learned from his mother as a child, and they were Methodists. It's a simple lesson. This sort of recipe for joy is that you put Jesus first and others next, and then yourself. I love that, except I'm not convinced it's that linear. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think the real joy is probably less orderly. And more about that dance of love between ourselves and God and others. So talk to us now about how you're doing this dance these days. Where are you finding joy in your life? One of the places that I'm finding joy and where that dance is really particularly beautiful. So my husband and I, in addition to doing all this farm stuff, we also like to do a lot of home improvement projects. It's another way we kept saying, especially during the winter. So our rhythm is that nine months out of the year, we work on the farm and three months we work on the house because we bought a fixer upper. So that's about our rhythm. One of the things we did over this winter was we built a new dining room or kitchen table. We don't have like a formal dining room. It's kind of off the kitchen, but we built a new kitchen table together and we did it together. At one point I would have just said, well, you go build me a table and then he would have done it and it would have been frustrating because he would have been doing it alone and we've learned to work together and it's really fun to work together. But the thing that was the most beautiful is we put it together and I just started crying when we finally put it together in the dining room because we knew enough at that point about coming vaccines and different things that I could imagine people around my table again. And here was this beautiful table that was built during the pandemic by us together. And it just gives me joy every time I look at it, because to me, it's both a sign. It's like a promise and a hope. And it's a reminder of what we've survived and how God was present, even in all the places we didn't even want God to have to be because we didn't want to be in those places. And yet God showed up. Jesus showed up. That table just brings me joy. And I am like pretty adamant about keeping it cleared, <laughs> except for like a set of flowers in the middle, because I just like, I don't want to get cluttered with all the things. Uh -huh. It's like waiting. It's like setting a place for Elijah, like waiting. Because you built that table for the guests who will be there. Not now, but later. That is hope and certainly joy. 
Jerusalem, you've made my joy complete today. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you so much. <laughs> well, I think we've all learned a lot. And not only have we learned a lot, but we just have a little bit more good news to share today from this yeah. conversation. It's part of the harvest. Thank you for all the thoughtful imagery you've given us today. And I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us as well. It is, as always, a pleasure to spend some time with you, even if you're just in our minds and our hearts and not exactly with us. I'm glad that you're here. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, send an email to me at mvano at stmargaretschurch.org. Please join us again next time because our JOY is not complete without you. is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Music